The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Of the joyful life. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. One of the reasons that God has saved us and left us here on earth is that we might be fruitful Christians. He's not saved us merely that we might be free from judgment and go to heaven when our life is through. I mean, obviously, that's an amazing thing. But he has left us here that the character of Jesus Christ might be reproduced in us while here on earth. You remember what we emphasized last week, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. God's sole purpose in leaving us here on earth is to conform us to the image of Christ. And his ways of doing it are many and varied for all of us. But that's the key for the purpose in each one of us. So we are living in the flesh, of course, but we're not of the flesh. We are to do good works that Christ might be glorified and that many might be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, this is stated very wonderfully in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, the reality is, and Scripture makes us very clear, that all of us are dead in trespasses and sins. We were born with a sinful nature. None of us seeks God. Now, you may say, well, wait, Craig, I can remember wanting God and and seeking God. Well, praise God, then the Holy Spirit was drawing you. But Ephesians is very clear that it's by grace through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, and it's not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So we can't brag about, hey, I'm a Christian because I was so smart, and I figured it out, and I came to God. Not at all. But here's where we see a key here. And once we understand, it's time to get down to business. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, now notice, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I think I probably refer to this maybe every second or third week. But the reality and the really cool thing is that before the foundation of of the world, God set aside a life for us. He was recreating us in Christ. He knew that we would come to Christ And he was creating us for good works, prepared before the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. 
So the spectacular reality is there is a life for you and I already laid out by God. The key is to walk it. That's the key. The verse says three things here. They say that God saved us by grace. Unmerited favor. None of us deserved it, yet God in his mercy set aside a plan through his grace and love to save us. Two, they say he has a plan for our lives. Every one of you sitting here this morning who have accepted Christ as Savior, God has a very specific plan for you. That ought to be massively encouraging, especially if life's not going the way you want right now. Because through the mist and through the haze that clouds our eyes, there is a reality that God has a plan that he's working. And three, these verses say that there are good works in that plan. So God has set a marvelous plan for us beforehand. But we spend most of our time on our plan without even a thought that God has a better way. And don't you ever find that true sometimes? You know, maybe you're in a bad situation and you're trying to figure something else. And so you just sit down and try to figure out, how am I going to get through this? Instead of going, okay, God, where are you taking me? Lead me in your path. And this is the key that Paul is making clear for us. God is somewhat like a father who is, who is raising a large family. He's pleased to have the family, and he's delighted that you're a member of it, but he's not satisfied only with that. He also wants you to grow up and to be a good citizen, spiritually speaking. He wants productive children. He wants your life to be fruitful with good works. And this is the message of Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. So in praying for the Christians at Philippi, Paul asks for three things. He says, one, he prays that their love might abound in all knowledge and discernment. Did you notice that? All knowledge and discernment. It's not a secret. I mean, if you could imagine someone very upset because they need to get to Cleveland and they don't know how to get there. And so you ask them, well, did you look at the map? No. Did you turn on your GPS? No. What are you upset for? Grab a map, right? That's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is a very clear roadmap. And if we're not in it on a regular basis where we begin to understand and the Holy Spirit uses to cultivate and lead us, we find ourselves lost, not knowing where to go. Number two, he prays that their love might be lived free of hypocrisy. True love from the heart. True love from what the Spirit is leading in us. So our love is not just a human love that we try to exert, but it's a love stimulated and birthed by the Holy Spirit. And then he prays, looking forward to the natural result of the first two requests, that they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness, verse 11. Now, there's an illustration of this in electrical sciences. Those of you who are good with electricity, you know this. There's basic, a basic formula. Volts times amps 
equals watts. Voltage is the measure of pressure. Uh, amperage is the measure of flow. And wattage is the measurement of power. So it's the product of the pressure multiplied by the flow of electricity. Have I lost you? Hang in there. Everything Paul says can be expressed in this terminology. All good works depends on being filled with God's love, which is the pressure behind the works. Good works also depend on a channel where the amperage can be high. Our lives must not be filled with resistors, uh, those things which store up the power for later. They must be open. So the love of God times the life free from resistance equals good works. In other words, stop getting in the way of the Spirit. Let the Spirit live through you. So this brings us to the very important term that Paul has mentioned here, abounding love. This is the first thing Paul says we need. Look at Philippians 1 verses 10 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. The Christian must be filled with Christ's love. This must be a love according to knowledge. Now, the word used here is a special word. It's called epigenosis. That refers to the advanced spiritual knowledge. In the New Testament, the word is applied only to spiritual things, to the knowledge of God, religious knowledge, spiritual knowledge, the doctrine of knowledge. It's a knowledge that comes to the Christian through a study of the word of God. So quite simply, as you and I stay in the word and study it, the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of that word. And I can tell you this process goes on and on and on. You know, it's amazing, uh, a few weeks ago, when preparing a message, I came across some words and some concepts, and as I did, I suddenly had an understanding of it, and I could remember years ago not having a clue what that meant. So it's an ongoing process. The more you're in the Word, the more you understand the voice of the Spirit. And the more you understand the Holy Spirit, the more you understand how he leads and guides you. And what's so amazing is when you're dealing with life situations, things come out of the scriptures that give you an understanding that directly applies to where you are. And it's amazing reality. I'll tell you, over the last nine months, I have experienced this more great, more fully than ever in my life. Because I have found verses that literally are speaking to me and give me the guidance and the encouragement where I'm at. And this is the wonderful thing of the Spirit-filled life. It's no more I, but Christ that lives in me. And that is the great joy that he is laying before us. So the love that is behind good works must also be discerning. The word has reference to the understanding given by the Holy Spirit. Just as the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, so the Holy Spirit enables us to discern how love should operate. And finally, the love with which the Christian should be filled must be discriminating. Paul says that we are to discern what is the best. Now, 
the English Standard Version that I read from uses the word approve instead, but I think discriminating is a much clearer concept of what Paul is saying. The word translated discern in classical Greek refers to testing something or someone. It's literally the technical word that's using to test money to find out if it's counterfeit or not. It's that understanding to discern whether something is right, coming from the right way. Yeah, I'm sure that your discerning ability has been tested over and over again in recent years as you watch the news and various things that are happening in our country. Uh, it's an amazing truth that the, the Holy Spirit provides. And this is the word that's used by Paul when he says that Christians are to be renewed by the Holy Spirit so that they may test and approve what God's will is. That is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans 12, 2. So the Christian life must be motivated and informed by love. Without love, we are only clanging symbols. But this was never intended to be a wishy-washy, undefined, sentimental love. It is the love of Christ. Hence, it must be a love governed by biblical principles and ex exercised with judgment. Now, this naturally leads us to Paul's next point, and that's without obstruction. The second prerequisite of a fruitful life is that the life must be pure or free from obstructions. The word Paul uses means oven-tested. This does not mean that we must be perfect because none of us are perfect and we never will be perfect. You know, I like to say that we're messy, you know? We're just messy people. That's the reality. But this does not mean that we must be uh, must be perfect in every area of our life, it does mean that our lives must be open before God and others. There must be no hypocrisy. Now, I'm sure you're, you're familiar, but in ancient times, the biggest industry was the pottery industry. <clears throat> and there were several types of pottery. Uh, pottery, uh, the very cheap pottery, was very thick and heavy and very easy to make. And this is the type of pottery that's found in many of the digs, the archaeological digs today. But the finest pottery was very thin. It had clear color, and it brought a very high price. <clears throat> Fine pottery was very fragile both in before the firing and after, and it would often crack in the oven. Cracked pottery was to be thrown away, but all too often, dishonest dealers had the habit of filling it with a very clear pearl-like wax. And the wax would take on the color of the pottery. And you could never tell that there were cracks, especially if it was fired or glazed. But the wax was immediately detectable when you held it up to the sunlight. And so <clears throat> many of the good dealers would have signs out in front of their, their shops which said, Sina Sarah, without cracks. And that's literally the, the image that we have here. You and I must be sincere. God's love will not flow through a Christian whose life is a sham. Hypocrisy will stop the flow. Fortunately, however... We may also say that God's love will flow through an honest Christian no matter how marred the vessel is. 
I love 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, the great thing is <clears throat> we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to try to be something we're not. All we have to do is be open and honest before the Lord, and the Lord will use us. And people will see that honesty in your life. Moreover, we look forward to the day when what is begun on earth with all its imperfections will be made perfect in heaven. There we, you and I, will be sterling examples of God's fine workmanship. We will be perfect and crystal clear. But we now see our responsibility to produce. This leads us to the fact that we must be fruitful Christians. <clears throat> you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, have been saved and left on earth to be fruitful. That's why God has left us here. Look at Philippians 1.11 again. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So if you would look at your life for a minute and realize that God saved you, called you, set you apart to work in his field, if you will. He has allowed and given you the opportunity to glorify God. Now think about that. You and I are called to glorify Jesus Christ. So take stock of your life right now. Are you glorifying Christ? When the bottom drops out, do you go straight to the word of God and fall on your knees and give it back to God and ask him what you need to do to bring glory out of this? Or do you panic and roll into a ball? When somebody calls upon you, do you stand up for God and show glory? You see, that is what we're intended to do. That's what our lives are about. That's why he's left us here on earth, to bring glory to him. The fruit of righteousness is a fruit that righteousness produces. That is to be seen in the innumerable acts of kindness and services in which every believer in Jesus Christ is called. We need to note also that Christians are not only called to bear fruit, we are called to be fruit. That is, to bring forth much good fruit. And how is this to be done? Well, in the first place, it must be done by depending solely on Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus was talking about in his last moments with the disciples. You recall John 15, verse 1. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So here he's about to lay out this beautiful illustration of bearing fruit. Jesus is the vine. All of us who have accepted Christ as Savior are grafted into that vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He is the one that comes along and tills the soil and fertilizes it and, yes, prunes it. 
But we continue in John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Now, let me stop right there because here's where these messages all start to come together. Abide in me. The word abide means to accept or act in accordance with. You know what this verse, what the abide means? It means conform to. There's that verse again. We were called to be conformed to the image of Christ. So now here he says, abide in me. Be conformed to my image. Be like me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But notice, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you ever wonder why you some days you just feel lost? You feel like you just don't know what God is doing? Could it be that you slipped away from the abiding process? You see, when you and I rest in Christ, we get the peace that passes all understanding. When you abide in Christ and you're conformed to him and your whole goal is to bear his image, then whatever comes into your life is able to be handled in stride because he will do nothing apart from his perfect will. Now, there will be no fruit of righteousness in anyone's life apart from dependence on Christ. Abiding is an ongoing process. And every morning when you get up, it's renewed. The unsaved person, on the other hand, practicing good works is kind of like a child who's fallen into a mud puddle. He's worried that his mother might be upset with him for what's happened. So he comes in the front door and tracks all through the living room and hops on the piano to practice his piano, leaving a, leaving a trail of dirt behind him. And then he runs up the stairs to put his toys away, all trying to appease his mom because he knows he's in trouble. So he does all these things to try to be good, but he leaves a mess behind him. He's trying to offset the mess by doing something that pleases his mother. And see, that's the way the unsafe person is. Well, what does the mother do? Instead of praising him for his good deeds, she takes him by the hand, takes him into the bath, and washes him. Then she sets him out to practice his piano and put his toys away. And you see, in the same way, the unsaved person must be washed of sin in Christ's blood before he can even begin to produce good works that God the Father has ordained for every Christian. This is what's key for everyone outside of Christ, to understand they need to be washed and purified in the blood. There's another great uh, illustration that I just read this week. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Lawrence of Arabia back from World War I. But he had gone to Paris with some of his Arab friends. He took some time to show them the sights. He showed them the Louvre, the Arch of Triumph, the Napoleon's grave, and all these wonderful sights around Paris. But they weren't interested. He found them one day fascinating 
sitting in the bathtubs of their hotel rooms playing with the faucets, turning them on and off, on and off, on and off. And as he watched them, they said, we need to have these in, in our country because our country is so dry. If we had these, we would have all the water we wanted. And later, when they were leaving Paris and checking out of their hotels, Lawrence actually found them in their bathrooms trying to get the faucets off the wall. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, we need these. We need these to bring water to where we are. And Lawrence had to explain to them, no, you don't understand. These are attached to a network of pipes that are long and long, and they go to these great reservoirs that are filled by the rain and snow from the Alps. That faucets in themselves were worthless. It was only what they were attached to. And you know, many people are living lives that are as dry as the desert of Arabia. They have their faucets, but there's no connection to the pipeline. They must come to God through Christ. Other people are also parched, but they are parched for another reason. There are impurities that have choked up the lines. You are a Christian, but your life is unhappy. And you need God's cleansing. You must come to Christ for cleansing. You must seek his way, and he will make you fruitful. I think of the first chapter of Psalm, where the psalmist makes this very clear. He wrote in Psalm 1, verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does... He prospers. Now just think about that. You see, the image the psalmist is laying out here is that all around this tree are many other trees that are wilting and hanging over, and their leaves are turning brown and dropping off because they don't have any source. But this particular tree that's planted by the water, its tap roots go deep. It's near the water, and in the midst of all of that, its trunk is strong and tall. And its leaves are bright green and they're bearing fruit. And all he does, he prospers. Can you imagine, just think about this for a minute. Can you imagine the most difficult trial to go through? And know that it will bear much can you think that way? Can that truth grip your heart that is difficult and as confusing as it may seem and as lost and afraid as you might be, when your roots are deep in Christ, it will bear fruit because everything you do will prosper. It may not prosper as you and I see it, but it'll be prospering the way Christ wants it. But why is it like this? Why on earth does this tree prosper? Well, the answer is in verse 2. His delight is in the law 
of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Go back to Philippians. It's the knowledge and all discernment that Paul is talking about. As a pastor, I just don't know how to make it any clearer. Do you want to radically change your life? Get into the word of God. It's that simple. Get into the word of God. Every day, get into the word of God. Make it your priority. All of us go to work because we need the funds it supplies. Many are working hard to create nice lives, investing lives, fruitful lives. And we won't miss a day of work because we know we need to work. Well, if you have the tool that guarantees everything you do will prosper, can you possibly not be in it every day? That's what makes the tree fruitful. And what a difference there could be in many lives if Christians would learn to let Christ flow through them as they seek him in the scriptures. But of course, we got to come to the part that none of us likes, the pruning process. This is one more key to bearing fruit. You not only need to be joined to Christ in order to be fruitful, you also need to be pruned. And this is actually the way that Jesus' parable begins. Back in John 15, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Have you felt God's pruning in your life? He wants to do it. For your life has many things in it that are not bearing spiritual fruit. You remember last week that we saw that the most important thing in our lives would be to conform to the image of Christ in Romans 8.29. And I've already mentioned it earlier in the message now. But being in the image of Christ bears much fruit. And therefore, there must be pruning to cut out those things that are not aiding us to be in Christ's image. The pruning process, which takes away that portion which hinders growth, makes way for new fruit buds. The sole purpose of pruning is to make the plant better. If you've been here for a number of years and you were here when Dr. Murdoch was our pastor, you remember the illustration he used to use all the time about his grandpa. His grandpa owned a flower farm. And he would raise flowers and take them to the markets in Philadelphia. And one time, Murray was with him as a young boy and he watched him and he had this plant with three beautiful flowers on it and he took and just snipped one off. And he, he thought, what, what a waste. He said, Grandpa, what are you doing? And he said, well, you've got to understand that by removing that one flower, all the sap and energy now goes through those other two. And they'll become bigger, stronger, more beautiful, and sweeter smelling, and they'll bring your grandpa a lot more money at the market. But this is what he's doing in our lives. Those areas that aren't bearing fruit, he's removing. And it's exactly what you and I see going on. So don't fight it. 
Don't run from the pruner's shields, shears. It's all to make you what God wants you to be. And in the perfect reality is when you're in the word of God and your heart is hid with Christ and you know he's working your life, when that pruning process starts, you ought to be able to say, there goes a burden. Now I can focus where God wants me to focus because everything he does draws you into a plan that he is doing in a spectacular way in your life. So it's all to make you what God wants you. And remember, the purpose which he has begun, he will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Once you have the life, God so loves you that he's going to make you into a life that's conformed to his image. God so loves you in the image of Christ that he's going to prune and cut and develop your life so that you can find the purpose that he marked out before the foundation of the world. And let me tell you something. You want to know real joy? You want to know spectacular joy? You want to know a life that can just rock through anything? Then set back and let him do what he does. And you will experience a life like you've never known. What an immense joy to know that he loves you so much that he wants you to be just like his son. He loves you so much, he wants you in the image of perfection. Are you tracking with me? He wants you in the image of perfection. That's how much he loves you. Why fight it? The trimming may hurt. It may hurt. You may think that God is requiring way too much, but the result will be good for you, and not only you, but for everyone around you. And it's done by Jesus Christ himself for the glory and praise and ultimate gift of God. Paul is saying, guys, got this life for you. It's pretty awesome. Here, here's how you can have it. Do you want it? Father, we thank you this morning for oh, just how much you love us. You love us so much that you just give and give and give and give and give. But unfortunately, us messy Christians kind of think we know better and we often go our own way and we get in trouble. Lord, help us to just surrender, to give you the life that you may produce amazing fruit of righteousness in all of us, not only for your glory, but for the amazing joy that our lives will become and how we can rock it through this life with great peace, peace that passes all understanding. 
and know that one day when we come before you, we will stand with so many crowns to lay at your feet. We give you the glory, Father. In Christ's name, amen. God bless.